different from the rest of the world's kind of leadership and how there's a different set of evaluations that goes into how does God evaluate spiritual leaders as opposed to how the world evaluates leaders and so on. And we've talked in the three sessions that we've had so far, we've, we've all agreed that there are certain qualities that all great leaders have. But I think, honestly, as I've studied it this week and last, I think we're wrong. I, I think we've, we, we're wrong. I, I, when, I, when I look at what our world values, what we have said makes great leaders is in complete disagreement with what the rest of the world says. I did some research this week, and you take social media for what it's worth. You take things like Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and all the rest that go into it. Take it for what it's worth, but it reveals who the true leaders are in our society. It really does. And and it, it good, bad, or otherwise, it reveals who the true leaders are valued by the, the people in our society. I looked up the categories of the biggest social influencers. They do research on this stuff. They tell you, here are the people that are shaping the world through social media. And if you don't think that's a big deal, then you've got your head in the sand. This is the way it is. Bottom line, you've got your head in the sand. The, the, the categories, here's the way it goes. There's, there's one kid, maybe some of you have seen this, he makes millions some of you know, some of you know, I think he made something like 20 something million dollars on YouTube last year reviewing toys. Look what are my kids doing? You know, where's that at? You know, we got plenty of toys to review. Let's do some videos. You know, that's what it, but anyway, this kid, he's about eight or nine years old. He gets on there and he talks about his toys. He made 20 million dollars. Other people, there's one guy who's, a, who's, who's in the top 20 and he, he talks about adventure. Rock climbing and stuff like that is what he does. There are two, two people in the top 20 social media influencers who talk about fitness all the time. Uh, there, there's uh, one who talks about sports, three who talk about video games, uh, four who talk about beauty, four who talk about fashion, and then the top category, the top 20, 25 social media influencers are entertainment. Is any of that surprising to you in our society? Nah, probably not. That's, that's what we're obsessed with, right? Gaming, fitness, entertainment, fashion, beauty, sports, toys, and adventure. That's what our society is obsessed with. And that, those categories reveal, here, here's who we're following. They have, they have hundreds of thousands, if not millions of followers hanging on their every post to know how is it I should live my life as a result of what that person said about how to win Fortnite. That's what, that's it. How do I win at Fortnite? How do I look better in the mirror? How can I have more excitement and adventure in my life? Those are the things that we're, we're trying to do. I, I looked up how do you become a social media influencer. That's I'm going to see if I can do it. It's a very lucrative thing. I just, you know, there's a whole, there's, there's tons of blog posts. Here's how you do it. You got to do these things. And, and then one day, someday you'll be making millions on YouTube. That's just the way it is. But basically you tell people how to win at their video games. You tell them how to look better in the mirror. You show them the life that they could have if they were only as important and great as you are. That's what you do. And boom, people follow you just like crazy and you make millions of dollars. Social media influencers are, according to our world and according to what we give to them, they are the leaders in our society. But if we take a close look, obviously, not even really a close look, we realize our society is just entertaining itself to death. That's what we're doing. 
Those influencers, by the way, I don't know if it, I, and, 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 and let me make this clear, I'm not picking on young people this morning, because it ain't just young people. It ain't. It's not just young people who are obsessed with this stuff. But those influencers, as we well know, you, they're not providing any substance to our lives, are they? They're not providing anything of substance to our lives. We follow them just because they impress us or because we'd like to be able to impress people the way that they can impress people. That, that's, what, that's what they do. Leadership then in our society, it appears, really isn't that difficult. I think unless you're doing it right. Then it becomes a challenge. If you want to have a true and lasting impact in the lives of people for something beyond yourself, for something that will outlast you, for something that is not as temporary as the way you look or how you feel or what you can do with your time, if something is is more important to you than that, then leadership's tough. It's it's hard, I think, to be seen as as a viable leader in a world, in a society that's obsessed and that worships games and sports and entertainment and beauty and fitness and worships all the people that provide all that stuff. It's tough to be seen as a viable and valuable leader in that kind of society. And the old saying is, well, if you can't beat them, join them. And that's what a lot of people have done. But I, I want you to know that what we're going to look at this morning in the scripture is a guy who said, I will not, no matter what, I will not say if you can't beat them, join them. The Apostle Paul understood firsthand how all of it felt. Just what I described... <laughs> Aside from the social media stuff, he, he was in a society writing to the group known as the Corinthians. He was writing to a group who lived in a society just like ours. A society that worshipped sports and entertainment and politics and worshipped all those things thinking that if I could just do that, if I could just be like that person, if this person would just make this decision or live this out or whatever, then everything would be fine. That's the society that Paul was writing to. Corinth was a lot like our world today. And many people in the Corinthian church wanted Paul, their leader, to be just like the other leaders that they saw. And he couldn't win for losing with them. Some people wanted him to be more impressive. Some people wanted him to have better references and credentials. Some people wanted him to speak and preach more authoritatively and energetically and powerfully. Some people wanted him to appear more decisive, like he really knew everything and had it all together. And when he wasn't those things for them, they criticized him. Why can't you be like all the other great leaders we see in our society? Why don't you have a bigger following? If you were really like all those folks, you'd never have a problem. And you've got all these problems. If you were like them, we'd follow you. We'd get on board with what you're talking about. That's what they were telling Paul. And so he had a very difficult relationship with these guys. And by the time he wrote what we know as 2 Corinthians, the relationship had gotten a little better, but there were some still, still some issues that he, that he needed to clear up. And that's kind of what this letter is about. Paul was no shortcut leader. He was, he was a guy who understood that if there's no pain, there's no gain. And so he didn't choose the easy path of leadership through being impressive and powerful, but the true and lasting path of leadership, which is impact through sincerity. You got your Bible, turn with me to 2 Corinthians. You may already be there. 2 Corinthians, we're going to look in chapter 1. We're going to see verses 12 through the end of chapter 1 and then into a little bit of chapter 2 today in a series that we're looking at for the next several weeks 
called No Pain, No Gain, a letter from Paul to the Corinthians in which he is expressing himself. He's letting them in on here's how he's dealt with things. Here's what's happened to him. And he's wanting them to know that all the things that are struggles in life, they eventually produce something great, but it's not easy to go through. And today he's going to talk about how if you truly, truly want impact, it's not through being impressive. It's through being sincere. Let's look at it. Beginning in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 12, he says, for our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience that we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially toward you with God-given sincerity and purity, not by fleshly wisdom, but by God's grace. So we are writing you nothing other than what you can read and also understand. I hope that you will understand completely, as you have partially understood us, that we are your reason for pride, as you are ours, in the day of our Lord Jesus. In this confidence, I plan to come to you first, so that you could have a double benefit, and to go on to Macedonia with your help, then to come to you again from Macedonia, and be given a start by you on my journey to Judea. So when I planned this, was I irresponsible? Or, or what I plan, do I, do I plan in a purely human way so that I can say yes, yes, and no, no simultaneously? As God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me, Silvanus, and Timothy, did not become yes and no. On the, uh, and on the contrary, yes has, become, has come about in him. For every one of God's promises is yes in him. Therefore, the amen is also through him for God's glory through us. Now, the one who confirms us with you is Christ and has anointed us is God. He has also sealed us and given us the spirit as a down payment in our hearts. I call on God as a witness against me. It was to spare you that I did not come to Corinth. Not that we have control of your faith, but we are workers for you, for your joy, with you for your joy, because you stand by faith. In fact, I made up my mind about this, not to come to you on another painful visit. For if I cause you pain, then who will cheer me other than the one who, who I hurt? I wrote this very thing so that when I came, I wouldn't have pain from those who ought to give me joy, because I am confident about all of you that my joy is yours. For out of an extremely troubled and anguished heart, I wrote to you with many tears, not that you should be hurt, but that you should know the abundant love I have for you. Does that sound confusing? It does, doesn't it? You're sitting there reading along. Like, man, I hope he understands this. Man, I got no idea what I just heard and read. It's confusing, isn't it? 2 Corinthians is the most personal of all of Paul letter, Paul's letters, and it's the most confusing to try to understand. He's, he's, uh, he seems to be all over the place, doesn't he? You ever felt that way? You ever felt like you're trying to express yourself to somebody that you truly care about, and, you, and you're, you're trying to help them understand where you're coming from, and you can't get the words out exactly right? You, you, you even try to write it all down, and, and you just, I don't know, I can't make any sense of it. Just read it and so tell me what you think. I think that's a little bit of what Paul is dealing with. He's human, by the way. And he's been hurt by these, these people, this church, and he's writing to them, trying to help them understand, here's where I'm coming from. And he's just all over the place. His emotions are everywhere, and he's, he, he, he's fighting for the words, and it, it's, it appears choppy, and he circles back a lot of times, and he repeats himself, and then he'll stop mid-sentence and change on to something else. And maybe you've felt the same way, and you know how Paul feels right now. He's doing his best to help them understand, but it sounds a little confusing. And they would have probably been a little confused by it as well. 
But one thing that Paul is going to set out from the very beginning is that he's not like the leaders that they see in their society. He says in verse 12, he contrasts himself. He says, we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially towards you with God-given sincerity and purity, not by fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God. They wanted a guy who had it all together. And when you read this, it sounds like anything but a guy who's got it all together. He's hurt. He's struggling. He's trying to find the right words and he doesn't know exactly how to put it all down. And they wanted a leader who just had it, had everything exactly the way it should be. A guy who was never hurt, who never flinched. They wanted a leader who was invincible. And if we're honest, we want the same kind of leaders. I, I, I think especially in our world, in our Christian world, we, we want leaders who will be what we hope that we will someday be or know maybe that we can never be. We, we hope that maybe, maybe if that person could just have great success on the athletic field or in the political realm, then that person will rescue all of us and we'll all be okay. And then when they have problems, we're shattered. And we don't buy into them anymore. We say, well, they messed up. They must not be a true believer. They, they've done something wrong. That's kind of how they looked at it with Paul. Paul couldn't and he wouldn't be the kind of leader that they wanted. And he chose not to be the kind of leader that they deserved. Based on how he'd been treated, by the way, he had the right to come down hard on them. To make it personal. To lose it on them. But over and over in these few verses, he just says, look, I'm not going to be that kind of leader that you want. I can't do that. It's not fleshly wisdom here. It's not, I'm not going to operate like everybody else. And I won't give you what you deserve. He tells him, I didn't, I didn't visit because I didn't want to cause you more pain. Paul's life and his leadership, I think, provide a great challenge. Let me encourage you with the folks with whom you have influence to be the leader that they need, not the one that they want or deserve. Be the, be the leader they need, not the one they want or deserve. Now, I'll tell you, the second two are easier. Being the leader that people want or deserve, in whatever aspect it is, whether you're talking about in your home, uh, in, your, in your workplace, at school, on your team, here at church, in our community, whatever it is, when you are providing leadership and guidance, just like when I talked to all the kids up here, you know who their leaders are? They're all sitting out here. Okay, so understand that. Oh, I'm not a leader. Yeah, you are. You may not be the leader of millions, but you might be the leader of one. Anyway, it's easier to simply be the leader that they want or deserve. You want to be the leader that people want, just do whatever makes them happy. Whatever gets your compliments. Everybody likes that, right? Hey, tell me what I want to hear. You want to be the leader that they deserve, just scare everybody to death. Because that's what they deserve, right? Just scare them real good. All right, well, I don't want to cross that person again. That's the way that it goes. But being the leader they need is tough. It's going to require more from you, and, and those people won't often like it. It's just the way it is. There are three things that Paul lays out here. And these aren't the only three things, but this is what comes from this passage. We look at, at Paul's life. These are three things that, that go into it for Paul. How is he going to be the leader that they need, not the one they want or deserve? There's three aspects of his character and the way that he operates that we're going to look at this morning that will give us, hopefully, something we can go on. The first is holiness. Look back in verse 12, chapter 1, verse 12. And he says, this is our boast. Here's what we take pride in. 
by the way, when he says this, all the other people in, the, in that world of leadership were boasting in what they did and what they could do. And in fact, in the Roman world, they would etch it on the buildings. Here's what this leader did, and so they'd always have a permanent record of it. Paul says, here's what I'm bragging about. Here's what I want etched down. The testimony of our conscience, that we have conducted ourselves in the world, and especially towards you, with God-given sincerity and purity, not by fleshly wisdom, but by God's grace. When he says the word purity there, another translation says holiness. We've conducted ourselves with holiness. The, the truth is, and I've found this to be true in my life and in the lives of people that I've followed and just in paying attention, that when it comes to holiness, the people that you're leading are, are unlikely to ever rise above your level. That's the way it is. So in your home, your school, your workplace, wherever it is, your level of holiness is likely the max for everybody else. That's just the way it is. Those people that you're leading, they're going to look at your life and they're going to say, hmm, okay, I, 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 might, I might get there. But parents, you, you know this probably better than anybody, that what you do in moderation, guess what? Your kids will do in excess. And I don't mean on the good side of excess, right? What you say, you well, okay, do as I say, not as I do. They're going to take it and run with it. They're going to rise to the level that you set. That's just the way it is. When it comes to holiness, the, the folks that are following you, the folks that are following me, rarely will rise above us. Paul knew that. And that's why he leads with it. He let holiness guide everything that he did. Now, holiness breaks down into two different parts, by the way. If you know anything about the way that this works in Scripture, holiness breaks down into our status and our behavior. Paul knew that his status mattered, that he was set apart. To be holy means that you are set apart, that you are different. You have, you have basically been taken out of the regular silverware drawer and you're over in the fine china drawer. Know what I mean? Stuffed under the china cabinet, right? That's where it is you know never to be remembered again why do you have all that stuff mom and dad because people spend a lot of money on it for our wedding that's why we have it why don't we use it because you can't use that stuff it's too fancy why do you have it because people it just goes around anyway but that's the deal you as a believer in jesus christ are fine china set apart for something very special for 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 use in a, in a very different way. Not the everyday, ordinary stuff. Paul knew that his status was different as a believer. He'd been set apart. He was no longer his own. I've told you this before. And it's a good reminder for you and for me. And if we're believers in Jesus Christ, we don't belong to ourselves anymore. I don't belong to me Paul knew that he did not belong to himself. He was not the master of his own destiny anymore. He could not make unilateral decisions on what he was going to do. He was not his own. But also being set apart, he, it meant he, wasn't, he didn't belong to the Corinthians. It, 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 it had to be tough for him. He didn't belong to that church. He wasn't theirs. They couldn't tell him what to do and how to, how to live. Do you know who was going to do that and who alone? That was God. He belonged to God. Set apart. And he also knew not only his status mattered, being set apart, but his behavior mattered. He was, he was not only holy, declared holy by the blood of Jesus, but he was to act holy. Does it matter what you do as a Christian? The answer would be, yeah. Some folks say, well, I, I, you know, once saved, always saved. That, right? Yeah, absolutely. Right? I can't lose my salvation, so it doesn't make any difference what I do. Got a lot of people in the world like that. 
Well, I walked an aisle 55 years ago. Then what'd you do? I don't know, whatever I felt like. Guess what? Not a believer. Not a believer. Bottom line, cannot, cannot, cannot. Bible tells us over and over and over, Paul said it in Romans, shall we go on sinning because grace is there? He said, no, that's dumb. It doesn't make any sense. Is what he said. That's stupid. So Paul knew that not only his status was holiness, but his behavior was to be holy. Does that mean you're going to be perfect? No. But that means where you're tracking is toward becoming like Jesus. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you and he's constantly saying, this is the way you should go. And, and, and if you're not going that way for very long, guess what? You're miserable. Can't handle it. If the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, you can't live in sin for very long. It ain't going to work. You're going to be one miserable person. So Paul knew his behavior mattered. So in his personal life, he removed everything that wasn't of God. In his relationships, his only motive was for those people to know and to love Jesus. And in his ministry, nothing was done for personal gain and personal advancement. And Paul, it, it cost him. He spent a lot of time in jail. Personal advancement would have said, I'm going I'm to develop a following that won't let that happen. Anyway, first and foremost, the leaders that we follow, the leaders that are needed in our homes and in our schools, in our places of business, on our teams, in our community, are holy leaders. Let me encourage you to pray daily for the holiness of the leaders in your life, both here at church and in your home and elsewhere. Pray daily for the holiness. They cannot lead you where they do not go and have not been. Pray daily. Above all else, holiness must be present in the life of a leader. Now, it's not really expedient. It's going to kind of seem like a whatever quality. Look, there's a lot to get done. I don't have time to cultivate something that's going to take my entire life. But it's necessary. Secondly, Paul talks about his own reliability. So there's holiness. How do I I become the leader they need? Not the one that they deserve. How, do I, how can I be the leader? First of all, I've got to have holiness. Secondly, Paul talks about a true reliability. Leaders can be counted on. I had a leader in my life one time. He liked to say, I can't count on the guys I can't count on. I thought, what in the world does that mean? Isn't that kind of redundant? You know what he was saying? If you prove yourself to be unreliable in the small things, guess what you ain't getting? Bigger things. Ain't happening. Can't count on you. If you prove you can't be counted on, guess what I'm not going to do? I ain't going to count on you. I can't count on the guys I can't count on. Paul knew that. He wanted to be a guy that God could count on, a guy that the Corinthians could count on. Now, when the Corinthians thought of that, they wanted a leader who would never change his mind about anything. Well, you said this is what you were going to do. This is what you, you, you said. And then Paul changed his mind. And you know what happened? They flipped out. <laughs> Paul said what? I'm going to visit you. Guess what he didn't do? He didn't go visit them. At least not when he said he was going to. And they thought this guy who supposedly has heard from God on what his plan should be, he's changed his mind. So you know what they thought? He ain't heard from God. We don't even know we should listen to anything he says. So you can imagine the criticism that starts to come as they look in their society and they see people who are always certain about everything. By the way, if anybody's ever just always certain about everything, they're an idiot. Total. Holy moly. Oh, I know exactly what you... Listen, it, nobody knows, do they? 
we've got to look for a different level of reliability other than, well, I'm confident this is what's going to happen. You don't know what's going to happen. You can think maybe that's likely to happen, but you don't know. Paul was then going to take reliability to a whole different level. He says, look, I understand you're frustrated and you're upset because I changed my plans, but you can count on me, he's saying. He says in verse 15, he says, I plan to come to you first so that you can have a double benefit. And then I was going to go on to Macedonia with your help. Basically, I'm going to collect some money and you're going to help me get there. And then come to you again from Macedonia and be given a start by you on my journey to Judea. He says, here's what I wanted to do. This was my intent. So he begins to kind of explain it. And in verse 17, he says, so when I planned this, was I irresponsible? Or what I plan, do I plan in a purely human way so that I say yes, yes, and no, no simultaneously? He says, am I, am I all over the place with you? Am I being irresponsible with what I plan? No, he says, that's what I intended to do. In verse 18, he says, as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. He's saying, I want my word to be just as good as God's is. Just as God is faithful, I want to be able to tell you, here's what I intend to do, and I want that to come to pass. That's what I want to do. And then he gives an example, the son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us. He did not become yes and no. On the contrary, yes has come about in him. Look at verse 20. For every one of God's promises is yes in him. What he's saying is, you know how God said years and years and years and years ago, centuries ago, that one day there would be a Messiah who would come? You remember how he said that? And then Jesus showed up? You know how God's always faithful? How you can always count on God. That's who I want to be, Paul says. That, that's who I'm banking it on. That, that's who I'm trying to emulate. And he says in verse 21, he says, excuse me, uh, verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 1. He says, in fact, I made up my mind about this, not to come to you on another painful visit. What did Paul tell him? Here's what I wanted to do. I, I, I wanted to come to you. I want to be as faithful to my word as God is to his. I, I, want to, I want you to be able to count on what I tell you is going to happen just like you count on the Messiah coming from God. But in the middle of all that, in my love for the Lord and in my love for you, God put something else in my heart. And what I really want you to count on me for is to love God, to listen to him, and to love you. Even if that means from time to time I've got to change my plans. Why did Paul change his plans? What if he had gone to them in the first place? What if he had said, you know what, God, I, I get it. I know it's probably, you're saying maybe that's not the best idea because there's some real trouble in this relationship and I need to give it some time and they need to heal and I need to heal, but I'm going anyway. You know what would have happened? <laughs> would have blown up. And Paul says, no, 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 no. I, 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 I understand that you're frustrated. I changed my plans, but here's why you can count on me because I'm listening to God. and I knew that wouldn't be a good idea. And, and, and I love you so dearly that I didn't want that to happen again. I want the relationship to be healed. You can always count on me to have what God says in mind and to have your best interest in mind. I will always follow the Lord and I will always love you. That's what Paul is telling them. You want to be the kind of leader that is needed. Be that kind of reliable. You may say, you know what, to your children, and I've had to do this before as well, here's what I said was going to happen, but guess what? Here's what's going to happen now. And I'm sorry that you're frustrated by it. I'm sorry that we changed our plans. I'm sorry that what I told you was going to happen now isn't going to happen, but I really do believe that this is now best. 
can apply that in a variety of settings. You might not always know what to do, and you certainly won't always know what's going to happen, and you might have to change your mind, but the kind of leader that those around you need is the kind that they can count on to follow Jesus and to love them, even when plans change. Because of that, they're going to be able to trust your heart and your teaching as you help them trust God's heart and His teaching. Reliable leaders might have to change their minds on little details, but their reliability is rooted in obedience to God and love for people that they lead. You want to be the kind of leader they need? It's holiness and reliability. And then thirdly, it's authenticity. And when I mention the word authenticity, there's probably some things that come to your mind, and I don't really think that's what Paul is going for here. Verse 21 of chapter 1, he says, Now the one who confirms us with you in, uh, the one who confirms us, uh, with you in Christ and has anointed us is God. He has also sealed us and given us the Spirit as a down payment in our hearts. I call on God as a witness against me. It was to spare you that I did not come to Corinth. Now, not that we have control of your faith, but we are workers with you for your joy because you stand by faith. In fact, I made up my mind about, about this, not to come to you on another painful visit. For if I cause you pain, then who will cheer me other than the one hurt? I wrote this very thing that when I came, I wouldn't have pain from those who ought to give me joy because I am confident about all of you that my joy is yours. For out of an extremely troubled and anguished heart, I wrote to you with many tears, not that you should be hurt, but that you should know the abundant love I have for you. He could have argued about all the details. Well, here's what came up, guys. And we really want to know, okay, here's, here's what happened and so on. But what does he do? He points them to the bigger picture. He's going to be authentic. He's going to let them know, here's what's happening. Here's the reason that this took place, deeper reason. His claim to be a true and reliable messenger from Christ did not rest on his own personal credentials, but on what God has done in his life. And that's what he says. God has confirmed me. God has set me apart. God has called me. That's how, I, that's how you can trust that I'm authentic. I won't do anything apart from that foundation. And he tells them so that they'll know exactly where he's coming from. And only then does he explain the, tra the travel changes. His motive was pure for their benefit. You want an authentic leader, you want to be an authentic leader, that doesn't mean you have to bear your soul all the time to everybody. That simply means that you always have pure and holy and godly motives toward the Lord and toward the people that you're leading. He wanted to extend them mercy, to spare them more trouble. He wanted to make sure they weren't hurt again, that he wasn't operating on personal selfish motives just for personal vindication. He's sensitive to their needs. He knew what they could handle and what they couldn't. He countered their criticism not by, not by retaliation, not by blasting them, but by opening up about how much he loved them. I mean, think about that for a second. They, they didn't get along, <laughs> Paul and the Corinthians. They didn't get along. They had said some nasty things about him. They had run him out of town, basically. And what does he do? He says, I, I want you to know that I, I, I told you I was going to visit, but I didn't because I knew it just caused more problems. And I want you to know how much I love you. You know what I'd have done? What did Jesus say? What, dust off, shake the dust off your feet? I'd be quoting that verse. Yep, that's what I'm doing. See you. Man. This guy, however, is authentic. 
in what? In his love for the Lord and in his love for people. And he just lays it out there. Look, I love you so much that I was willing to do something that confused you. Something that made you question even if I'm real or not. And I love you so much not to just blast you, but to love you. Being an authentic leader, as I said, doesn't mean that you always just bear your soul. Oh, they're so open and honest. No, that you just love people. Pure and godly motives. The Corinthians wanted something like a social media influencer. They wanted somebody who was impressive, like the leaders they saw in their society. They wanted somebody who had no problems, who had it all together. They wanted somebody who was always certain about what was going to happen. You ever felt that pressure? As a parent? As a leader at church? As a teacher? As a teammate? As a worker? As a boss? You ever felt that pressure? To be impressive? To pretend as if you have no problems? To always be certain? Always have the right answers? You ever felt that pressure? That's what they wanted. That's what our society says at once. But Paul knew they, they deserved something far different, didn't they? Uh, they deserved to, put, to have somebody put them, put them in their place, which is the kind of leaders that, that we deserve too, if we're honest. They deserved retaliation. Paul had the right to get back at them. He didn't. They deserved dismissal, like I told you, just shake the dust off your feet and move on to the next place. That's what they deserved. And they deserved to be humiliated just like they had done to Paul. But instead, he gave them what they needed, which was a messenger from Jesus. Someone who was holy, someone who was reliable, someone who was authentic. Paul just kept giving them a crucified Savior and a messenger submitted to him. That's what he gave them over and over and over. That's the heart of true leadership. Here's a crucified Savior, and I'm just a messenger submitted to him. The truth is, Jesus wasn't and isn't the leader that we want. He's certainly not the leader we deserve. But in going to the cross, he is clearly the one that we need. The one that we still need each and every day. You apply this to the different roles you play. You think about the leader that your kids want. The leader that your workers want. The, the leader that your community wants. The leader that the people at church want. Whomever. You think about the leader that they actually deserve. And then to think about the leader that God has called you to be, the leader they need. I wonder if you'd say, I'll receive the challenge to be holy, to be reliable on a whole different level, to always love God and just love them, even if it means I have to change plans, and to be authentic, always have pure motives. What do they want? Probably not what they need. <laughs> I ask these kids... They have no idea what they really need, do they? What do they deserve? Probably not what they need. But what do they need? Somebody who's like Jesus, who's holy, who's reliable, who's authentic. We encourage you, be the leader that they need. Not the one they want or deserve. It won't be easy. But no pain, no gain.
It's the way it is. Let's pray together.